All right. Well, we're still in the life of Abraham, and yesterday or last week we talked about um, just the significance of Abraham's story of this moment in history where God calls a man, chooses a man, and partners with him to bring about his purpose in the earth. Uh, this is an, this is a major moment in all of Scripture, and we looked at some Old Testament places where. Um, where God's promise to Abraham is really the, uh, the reference point for the Exodus and, and other moments in, in Israel's history. But, and then we also looked at the New Testament, and we saw how Jesus really only makes sense if you understand God's promise to Abraham. Uh, you really don't understand the full gospel um, until you understand what God was doing in choosing Abraham and calling him to himself and 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 charging him to walk before me. Um, so we're going to look at Abraham's life a little more in depth this week. Um, it's still going to be, you know, there is so much in these, in these stories. There's so much that we could look at. And so this is still going to be more of, a, uh, more of an overview of Abraham's life. But we are going to go um, chapter by chapter and pull out some, some major points. Um, so just to recap, we have seen uh, all through this time, uh, all th- through our study of, of Genesis so far, that it is God's desire to walk with man, to have sons and daughters, to have that kind of relationship, and for man to walk with him. Um, and that is his, that's his desire, and we see that he did that for a time with Adam in the garden uh, until their rebellion um, caused a rift in that relationship. And sadly, on one occasion, God comes down to walk with Adam in the cool of the day. And he finds that Adam and Eve have hidden themselves from God. And it's at that moment that they, be, they get driven out of his presence. And there becomes uh, a barrier between man and God. And that is what causes then the fallout. Uh, the human civilization begins to grow apart from God. Uh, mankind trying to fulfill their duty as creatures without the help and guidance of the Creator. Um, so in Genesis 1 through 11, God has been dealing with mankind universal. Okay? And in Genesis 12, he turns to Abraham in particular. A man. A particular man. A historical man. Um, Genesis 1 through 11 feels different than Genesis 12 and following. Right. It's it's much more of a archetypal. You know, you see these guys, you know, these these big figures in in human history and kind of the history of civilization. This guy is the father of forgers of bronze and iron. And this guy is the father of those who play musical instruments. And we see all these aspects of human civilization uh, starting and beginning. Right. Genesis, the book of beginnings. But here we have the beginning of God's plan to restore mankind. You know, it's always in his mind. We saw all the way back as far as Genesis 3, God says there's going to be enmity between the woman and the offspring of the serpent, but the offspring of the woman is going to crush the head of the offspring of the serpent. But here we have the specific moment at which God steps down into history and says, this is the way I'm going to begin to restore mankind back to myself. Okay, he's been through the flood. They started over. They started fresh. He says, I'm not going to do that again. 
He's scattered them around across the earth at, at the Tower of Babel. And now mankind is in the balance. And so what does God do? He, he stops dealing with the universal and he says, I'm, pick, I'm choosing a man. And so in chapter 12, well, today, let me just say this. I, I want to look at the progression of Abraham's life up to where we are in the story. We got through chapter 20 this week and see what it says to us about walking with God, about living in faith. Okay, Abraham is pointed to time and time again in the New Testament as the model of faith, the kind of relationship that we should have with God. And so we need to look at his life. And it's interesting because you look at his life and you, you go, well, how are we supposed to imitate this? I mean, there's a lot of questionable things that happen in Abraham's life. And so I want to look at it and see what is it about his life that we need to imitate. Obviously, I don't think we all need to go get concubines. Um, and try and bring forth offspring. Um, and they're there. we don't need to hide behind our wives when we go into the house of Pharaoh and claim that they're our sister, not our wife, so that it will go better with us. Right? There are things in Abraham's life that we should not imitate. Um, and yet, he is for us the paragon, the Old Testament paradigm of what it means to walk with God. Okay? So, uh, what we need to learn from Abraham, and I'll just give you the big point up front, and then we'll walk through and kind of look at this as it plays out in the story. We need to learn from Abraham that a life of faith is a life of trust, patience, obedience, continual and progressive maturity, and ultimately intimacy with God. That a life of faith is a life of trust, Patience, obedience, continuous and progressive maturity, and ultimately intimacy with God. So we'll start in uh, Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, uh, the story zooms way, way in at this point. And it tells us something. Uh, we in our Western mindsets like to think in abstract terms. Um, when we want to, uh, you know, many of our theologies, uh, if they were written in the past few hundred years, begin by listing the attributes of God. Right? What's God like? He's, uh, the, you know, the omnis. You may have heard of these. The omnis. Right? He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Omniscient. All-knowing. Omnipresent. He's everywhere. Okay? And these, this is often how we begin our theology. Well, who is God? And what's he like? Well, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. Scripture doesn't necessarily begin like that. When we begin the story of, man, of the redemption of mankind, what do we have? We have a conversation between God and a man. And that's where it begins. And I think we need to begin our theology with a conversation between God and a man. And that's where it needs to begin. Here at the beginning of God's grand story, the Lord said to Abram. The Lord said to Abram. And this is the moment. This is where we need to start. God's promise, and I, I call it that because it's not specifically called a covenant yet. The covenant actually... The ceremonial covenant, the formal covenant, uh, happens in chapter 15. 
But God's promise is to bless Abraham and to make his name great. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And him who uh, and, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the promise is that God will bless Abraham and that all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. Uh, the other aspect of the promise is that he was going to give them a, a, a land, the land of Canaan. Okay? Um, and there are many ways to define blessing. I would encourage you to, um, Billy over at LCF and JCF went through, and they, they spent some time just looking at the, the idea of blessing all through Genesis. You could say that's, that's a major theme, if not the major theme of the whole book, blessing. Um, and there are many ways to define blessing, but you, for the sake of, of brevity, you could simply say making good happen in another's life. Making good happen. Or calling forth life as it should be. Life as it should be. And when, when we talk about life as it should be, I mean the life that, that the Creator, the life as the Creator would have it. Okay? So blessing is what, is what creation was dripping with at the beginning. And God blessed it. And he said, it's good. All right? This is the way it should be. And when God saw, he saw that it was all good, especially when he topped it off and he created man, he said, it's very good. There's blessing here. And part of being blessed means having the capacity to be a blessing. Okay? Uh, When God causes good to happen in your life, it causes good to happen in others' lives. Another way of thinking about this uh, is in one of the metaphors that runs through all of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, uh, and it's, it's bearing fruit. Okay? Fruit comes from seeds, and it also has seeds. Right? It comes from a seed, and it has seed. It, the definition of fruit is that it, has, it bears seeds. What does that mean? It means it can make more fruit. That's a picture of blessing. And that's the picture of the kind of blessing that God wanted to put into Abraham. I want to, I want to put good in you. What kind of good? Fruit. Good that has other good in it. Has, has the potential to bring forth other good. It's fruit in which is its seed. It talks about in Genesis in the opening chapters. So fruitful and, and, and mankind was to be fruitful and multiply. When you have children, children have the capacity to have children. Okay, so this is all through in the fabric of creation, this idea of fruitfulness. That is what the blessing that God wanted to put in Abram's life is. I'm going to bless you. And hey, guess what? When I bless something, it has the potential to multiply and to, and to exponentially grow. So he's saying, here's the seed, and I'm going to cause it to bear fruit. And in fruit is seed. And in fruit is more seed and more fruit and more seed and more fruit. Okay, that's what we're looking at here. Part of the curse is that you work and plants bring forth not fruit but thorns and thistles. It's painful and it dies there and it needs to be rooted out. 
But if, a, if you work and a plant brings forth fruit, well, then it has the capacity to sustain itself. Okay? And life continues and multiplies. Um, but I would encourage you to go listen to Billy's sermon on blessing. And you'll get a, a good, you know, very good scriptural introduction to uh, this idea as a whole, all through Genesis. I think they did a, the word study uh, in the past couple of weeks of blessing in Genesis. And, and they were all, uh, that was kind of their reading assignment. Um, so I encourage you to go listen to that. Uh, and by the way, go listen to all the other sermons on these, if you, know, if you have time. They have, everyone has podcasts, all the churches, and we're all in the same part, and it wouldn't hurt to have all the different angles going. I mean, this could be a really rich time of... Uh, we, we will cover some of the same stuff and overlap, but Chad's going to preach through this differently than I will and differently than Billy will, and vice versa. Uh, okay, so after Abraham, Abraham receives the promise, or he's, he's still Abram at this point, what's the first thing that happens? He, there's a famine in the land. Right? It's not the Garden of Eden. In fact, it's, he has to leave. <laughs> You're going to inherit this land. It's a parched desert. <laughs> okay. All right. And this is, this is sort of par for the course for Abram's life. Right? You're going to have a son. You have a barren wife. You're going to inherit this land. There's a famine. Okay? God is saying, this has nothing to do with the inherent potential of the land or of your wife's womb. And it has everything to do with my capacity to bring forth life out of nothing. And this is ultimately what Abram's faith rested in, according to Hebrews, or according to Romans 4 that we read last week. God who brings life from the dead and causes things that are not to become things that are. Calls forth existence from things that don't exist. That's part of faith. So there's a famine. He goes down to Egypt. Um, and he leaves the land, and here's the guy who's going to cause all families of the earth to be blessed. And what does he do? He brings a curse on Pharaoh's household. <laughs> it's the first thing he does. He doesn't bring blessing. He brings a curse into Pharaoh's household. Um, and he goes, and, and it's like, nope, that's not it. <laughs> this isn't the life that you're called to live. Uh, he's, in, he's in Egypt, and this is uh, sort of a pre-shadow, prefigure of the Exodus, right, going down into Egypt, um, dealing with Pharaoh. Uh, in 400 years, that's where the story ends up. Um, but you know what happens. He, he's, he goes to Pharaoh's house, and he's, beforehand he's talking with his wife, Sarah, and he says, um, hey, tell him you're my sister, um, because if you don't, they're, you know, you're very attractive, and they're going to kill me to get to you. So just say you're my sister, and, and, and then I'll at least be able to make it out of here alive. So they, they do this plan. And, you know, this is, the question is always, why would he do that? Well, why, what was going through his head? And we don't, I don't know. I don't know the customs of ancient, the ancient Near East enough to, to be able to tell you what he was thinking. Um, I do think it's probably not as shocking as it is to our 21st century eyes. Um, but... What's that? Well, yeah, he was shrewd. He was trying to make, um, you know, he was trying to just survive, was his one thing. Um, there's probably a sermon in here about how, uh, because of the fear of man, we sometimes present the church to the world in a way that appeals to worldly sensibilities and lifestyles so that we can have favor in the world's eyes. 
And what we've really done is turn the bride of Christ into just another woman among many in Pharaoh's harem. You see what I'm saying here? There's probably a sermon in there or something about that. I'm not going to preach that sermon. Rather than blessing the world, we become a source of cursing by not being open about our true identities. By sneaking around. By saying, well, it will go better with us if we present ourselves to the world in this way. And what ends up happening is the world doesn't want what we have. The world just wants physical beauty, physical allure. And what we end up doing is selling the church short. And, and nothing special happens. In fact, a curse comes on the world that we're supposed to bless. Because they're just committing adultery with the church, as with many other things in their lives. They have a harem, and the church just becomes one more thing that they can use to gratify themselves. Okay? I'm not going to preach that sermon. There's probably a good sermon there about that. So, um, God sorts it out. He, it says he afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues, right? Plagues on Pharaoh's house. I mean, we're, we are prefiguring the Exodus in, in a significant way here. And he says, no, go. <laughs> Take her and go. Get out of here. Okay? And he goes, and actually, in spite of everything that he does, he leaves with uh, some, some, some wealth and riches from, from Egypt. So Abraham goes up from Egypt. In chapter 13, here we see Abraham and Lot separate. He says, there's, there's too much of us. We're, we're, we're too blessed. Uh, we need to separate because the land can't really support both of us. And Abraham gives Lot his choice. And Lot chooses, it's interesting what Lot chooses. He chooses what would be best in the short term. He chooses what looks best. So he looks around and he says, this place looks well watered. It doesn't look like the famine land that Abram was called to, to inherit. Hey, I like this well watered place. We're going to go to well watered. And it also says that he dwelt in cities. And Abraham stayed in tents. Hebrews 11.9 says this is a point of faith for Abraham. He is not dwelling in cities. He's staying in tents. Why? Because he is looking for the city whose designer and builder is God. Lot says, hey, why reinvent the wheel? Here's some cities. Let's go live in them. They have indoor plumbing. It's a turnkey solution. Okay? This is good. This is out of the box. This isn't a fixer-upper. We can move right in. They go and dwell in cities. So Lot chooses what looks good and it's ready to go. doesn't need any work. Let's go live in the cities that are already there. Abraham takes a longer view, and this is one aspect of his faith. He says, no, no, no. God's doing a new thing. There are cities, yes, but they have been built up to make a name for themselves. They have been built and founded fundamentally opposed to God, separated from God, independent of God. And so we can't just go and live in the cities that are already there that are independent of God. We must stay in tents until we know what it is that God wants to establish, until we have, until, until the city that God wants to found becomes apparent. And until that time, we don't 
go and live in the system. We stay mobile. And we stay obedient and responsive to God. Genesis 14, it shouldn't come as a surprise that Lot's choice ends up poorly for him. Right? He becomes in prison, in bondage to the cities that were the turnkey solution. And that looked great. Hey, let's go and do it. Well, he's taken captive by the rulers of these cities. Okay, what looks good to him, his move-in ready situation, uh, ends up being uh, a place of bondage for him. And he's taken captive. Uh, Abraham delivers Lot. Abraham goes and he has uh, a group of trained men, soldiers, fighting men, and he goes and he delivers Lot. He's beginning to understand, right, he could have... He could have abandoned Lot and said, yeah, you made the wrong choice. No. At risk to himself and to his own, he goes and he rescues Lot. Okay? Um, He is learning how to be a blessing. He is learning how to take his substance, his wealth, his 300 great soldiers, and pour them out to save someone who made a bad choice and probably deserves to be in bondage in those cities. See that? This is the blessing that Abraham is learning how to walk in. And so in Genesis 15, the formal covenant is made. And I mentioned this a little bit when we did communion. They divide the animals in two. Um, a great darkness comes on Abram. Which, by the way, the last time a great darkness a great sleep came down on someone, what happened? Yeah, a, a woman was, was created. So here's a significant moment, and a great darkness comes on him, and something big is happening. And he says, um, you know, Abram, ha- Abram has followed God, and he's responded faithfully to God, obediently to God. But he says, you know, so how are you going to do this exactly? How is it that I'm going to be the father of many nations? How is it that I'm going to become great when I only have an heir that's of my blood? I have a servant, and right now he's the heir of all my stuff. His name's Eliezer. And is, is that really how you're going to do it? And God peels back a little bit more of his purpose. And he says, you've got to wait to see what I have in store. He says, You've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. He brought him outside, and he said, Look towards heaven, and and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. I have to believe that when, when God said, look at the stars, Abraham said, oh, you mean the ones that you call into existence out of nothing? Right? Abraham knew God as the possessor of heaven and earth, the creator. 
This was one thing that set Abram apart from his pagan kinsmen. He didn't worship the stars. He knew the God who brought them into existence. And so he said, well, I don't know if it was just the quantity of the stars. I think it might have been, I know who you are in relation to these stars. And so, man, I I bet you can bring children into the world through my life. So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. He knew that God was capable of doing what he said he was going to do. That's what it means. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Again, we talked last week about righteousness means upholding your end of the covenant. What did God want out of the covenant with Abraham? He wanted someone to trust him and to walk with him, to believe that he could do what he said he was going to do. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And so they they have this covenant ceremony. It says the smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between the pieces of the animals. That's God himself saying, I am holding myself to death to, to be faithful to this covenant. Unto death. Unto the breaking of my own body. And as I mentioned, every week we remember the breaking of God's body in faithfulness to his covenant. Chapter 16, right? Abram Abram believed that God was going to give him a son. Oh, great. He did not yet think that it was going to come from his barren wife, Sarah. Okay, and so we have here in chapter 16 a great example of trying to fulfill the purpose of God in your life through fleshly means. Right? There's a, there's a difference between trying to fulfill your own purpose in life, just independent from God, and then trying to fill, fulfill what you know God wants you to do, but not in the way that he wants you to do it. There's two lessons we learn in, in, in our walk with God. One is you need to come into line with God's purpose. And the second is you need to accomplish that purpose in God's way, in the manner in which he accomplishes it. Because God will show us an end, a goal, and we still have in our mind all the earthly means, all the fleshly means to that goal. But we need the godly goal and the godly means as well. So we know the story. He, Sarai says, well, I guess he's going to give you a son through Hagar, my mistress, or my, my, my concubine, my servant. And uh, so she, it's actually Sarah, Sarah's plan, but then she, then she turns on the plan and turns on her servant and gets mad at Abraham and just brings strife into the marriage. Makes sense. Um, for obvious reasons. Um, and so she bears a son. This is Ishmael. Okay? Now, uh, God still blesses Ishmael and has compassion on Hagar and really meets with them and has this great tender moment of, you know, she flees and he says, no, I, I see you. I see you. I notice you. Right? And God, um, there's a well 
that she's at, and it's called Bir Lahai Roy, which means um, the well of the living one who sees me. It's a great name for God. Some of you might need to know God as the living one who sees me. Yeah? Now, the solution wasn't, right? I mean, God's solution to her was, okay, now go back and submit to your mistress. You're going to be mistreated, but I see you. Don't forget that. A lot of times, that's what we need in our lives. We don't need to change what we're doing. We need to know that God sees us in what we're doing. He sees the pain. He sees the injustice. And so we can keep going, right? He doesn't, he doesn't take her out of it. But he says, I see you. Amen? Isn't that good? We need that sometimes. We need to know that God sees us. Okay, chapter 17 uh, is, is another significant chapter. 12, 15, 17 are big moments in Abraham's life. 17 is where we get the covenant of circumcision. And it makes sense, right? We've just had an incident where... God's purpose was done in a fleshly way, and God says, well, no, 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 here's, here's the covenant I want. I want you to cut away the flesh. We're going to do this without the help of the flesh. Okay, and that really becomes what, what circumcision is. So circumcision is about the cutting away of the flesh, the, the, the getting rid of that last, that last part of the flesh that wants to do it in the way that I can understand. <laughs> he says, no, if you're going to be my son's going to be my friend you need to let go of that last bit of the flesh that wants to stay in the way um it's also circumcision you know it's it's a little awkward to talk about circumcision but you realize that most of the new testament epistles are about circumcision (laughs) that's what they're debating that was the big question in the church in the early church should gentiles become circumcised I mean, that's just that's bizarre to me that that was the, the big discussion. That was what all this, the letters and sermons are about. Um, but circumcision itself is a sign of, um, you know, why did God choose to do that? Why couldn't, you know, it just seems so painful. It seems so, uh, you know, unnecessary. But it's, it's the intimacy and the vulnerability of it, right? What's the very last thing that you would want to have someone mess around with. Well, it's, it's, that, it's the nakedness, right? It's the, it's the privacy of your life. And God says, that's where I want to relate with you. Um, he says, I want, I, I want to go back to the garden where we were naked and unashamed. Right? You, 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 weren't, you weren't afraid and ashamed of your openness and exposure to me. Right? Nakedness was not something that you wanted to hide from me. You didn't even know that you were naked. Right? Um, so th- there's so much significance, I think, in that, in that being the sign. And I, I know it gets a little awkward to, to talk about it, but it's you know, this what God chose to do. And I think it is a, a richly symbolic uh, sign of the covenant that God has with his people. Um, so, Genesis 18, well, so 17, he, he is circumcised, and that becomes the sign of uh, the covenant people of God. 
And then he, uh, he promises, okay, now that all the flesh is out of the way, let me tell you how I'm going to do it. Your wife, Sarah, is going to give you a son. And it says, Abram falls on his face laughing. It's also here where Abram's name gets changed to Abraham. Now that the last of the flesh is away, you, are, you have a new identity. Okay? You were called this. Now I am calling you a new name. Okay? Um, it's not going to be Ishmael. That's not going to be the one that I use. It's going to be the wife. It's going to be the, the child of your wife, Sarah. Um, chapter 18 begins the story of um, the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's really one big episode. God comes down as three figures. Uh, it's either God and two angels or something other than that. I'm not sure. There's a lot of theories as to you know, what exactly this, this manifestation of God was. But it, there it says, the Lord appeared to him, and that's Yahweh. Yahweh appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. And he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Um, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. So we know the scene. He goes and he says, hey, get, get, you know, serve these men. Let's uh, give them food. And it's this, it's relational, it's, it's, it's hosting, it's familial. Let's share a meal, okay? When, Abram, when, when the Lord is in Abram's presence, he says, let's, let's have fellowship. Let's share food together. Um, they reaffirm to Sarah uh, that she is going to have a child. And she says, well, I didn't laugh. And he says, no, but you did laugh. I like that. Uh, I heard you laugh. Don't try and get out of this. Um, and then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And here in verse 17 is a, is a great passage. Um, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation? God brings Abram into his plans. Abraham into his plans. And he says, Hey, now that... We are at the place in our relationship where he's not hiding anything from me. I'm not going to hide anything from him. Hiding from each other was something that started in the garden. There wasn't supposed to be any hiding from each other. And so now that Abraham is coming back into that kind of relationship with God, God says, all right, well, I'm I'm not going to hide from him. I'm going to bring him into my plans because this is what the, the purpose was all along. For man and God... To walk in the earth together. So he says, I'm going to bring him into my plans. Shall I hide? No. He's, he's my son. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And that we always, uh, we read this very often at our men's meetings. You know, that, that God wants to walk with men who he knows will train their household, will we'll bring all of the things under their influence into the ways of the Lord as well. And those are the kind of men that God wants to walk with. And so he brings him into his uh, plan to then go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. It says because the outcry has become great. 
and I need to go wipe them out. This is a city with the wrong foundations, and it needs to go. It's time for it to go. And Abraham, at this point, bargains with God. He intercedes for Sodom. Why? Because Lot's there. Lot's there. He's still, he's still concerned for his, his kinsmen, right? And God says, all right, and they have this you know, 50, now 40, now 30, 20. And they get all the way down to, what is it? 10. And there aren't even 10. It's just Lot's family that seem to be the only righteous people in the city. And uh, in chapter 19, the Lord shows mercy to Lot. He still, uh, and, and listen to this verse at the end of, of chapter 19. And this is as far as we'll get today. Um, oh, verse 29, not, not quite to the end of chapter 19. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. When he overthrew the cities in which God and which Lot had lived. So what have we seen? We've seen a man go from simple obedience with some some mistakes, maybe some misunderstandings, some immaturity. We've seen those immaturities be addressed and God to continue to clarify the nature of uh, the, the promise that he has made to Abraham and say, no, you really don't understand. I am going to give you a son. No, I am going to use Sarah. Right? And it's at this point in, in this passage where God is now revealing his purposes to Abraham. Abraham is even in some way affecting what God was originally going to do. They are having conversation and God is listening to Abraham and altering his course of action. That's amazing. But this is what God has been after. I want to walk with someone. And I want to know that their desires are the same as my desires. And when we have conversation, we come to agreement. And I honor what he says, and he honors what I say. This is a beautiful picture of a growing intimacy with God. A growing friendship. Abraham is called the friend of God. This is a budding friendship between God and God. And man, which is what God has always uh, desired. So he stops hiding from Abraham what he's going to do. He brings him into the process and even listens to him and changes his course of action. Okay, so what have we seen? We've seen faith grow to the place where it really is this intimate, powerful relationship between God and man. So we can see, even up to this point, why Abraham is for us for us the model of faith. Abraham never uh, he never reached the point, and he still hasn't. Right next week we're going to talk about uh, the testing of Abraham's faith, the, ult- the the big test. Right now that you finally believe that I'm going to bring Isaac uh, into the world and to to give the, all the blessing to him, now go sacrifice him. <laughs> And after you go through the whole story, that is so jarring, right? And, and even more, I mean, we, we, have, we can read the story in a few minutes, but Abraham lived a life trying to figure out what it meant that he was going to be the father of many nations, and finally he gets it. Yes, Isaac. Now go kill him. And you know what? Abraham does not bat an eye because he has learned who God is. 
And he has learned that God will hear him. And even takes his desires into consideration. And has mercy on Lot because he remembered Abraham. All of these things go to build his faith. All right, so what did we say at the beginning? The life, we learn from Abraham that a life of faith is a life of trust, patience, obedience, continuous and progressive maturity. Abraham was never not growing in his knowledge of God. He was never not learning more and maturing more. Okay? So faith doesn't mean, boom, I have believed. I'm just like Abraham. If you have the faith of Abraham, I love how the New Testament says that. I forget exactly where, but you walk in the footsteps of Abraham. There's a path. There's a journey. It's not a moment, and it's not an epiphany of Abraham. It's walking on the path of Abraham. And that path is a lifelong path of not quite understanding it sometimes, of having to unlearn some things, of having to have fleshly ways cut away from your life, of not putting down roots in a city, of staying in flux, of having some ambiguity in your life, of not having the 401k fully vested. Right? So that you can be responsive to God and figure out just how is it that you're going to bring your purposes and, and make me a blessing in the earth. Um, all right. Well, these are, these are just awesome things. I encourage you to um, pray about where God would be dealing with you in your relationship with him. You know, maybe it's you struggle with trusting God. You need to meditate on that aspect of Abraham's life. Maybe you struggle with obedience to God. You know what he's called you to do. You just, you need to do it <laughs> and to just keep doing it, right? Uh, maybe the idea of continuous and progressive maturity, you need to, maybe some of you who are older in the faith, you need to understand that at every point of your life, God is going to be teaching you more about himself and pruning you more and, bringing, and causing you to be more and more fruitful. Um, and ultimately, again, we, want to, we, we, are, we are maturing to the place of intimacy with God. Maybe you need to understand that God hears your prayer and responds to your prayer. So you need to avail yourself of that on behalf of others. Pray. Don't, don't cease praying for the people that God has put in your life, for the people that you... Uh, want to see, uh, experience his mercy. Pray for those people. God hears you. And he's going to remember your prayer and, and spare those people and show them mercy. Okay? So all these aspects are great uh, ways for us to stop and, and ask ourselves, do I really have faith? Do I really believe the Lord? Uh, because that is righteousness. Living in that way is what God expects of us uh, from his covenant. And ultimately, this all comes back to Jesus. This is the life that he lived. Talk about a man who, all through the book of John, just heard from God and did it. And talked to God. And they had a relationship and brought the purposes of God into the earth. Amen? Uh, Anything that you want to share or ask at this point? We'll pray and then... Yeah.
Yeah, I mean, so we didn't talk about that. That's in chapter 20, the, it's kind of the two bookends. They're very similar episodes. You've got to look at them in light of each other because there's a lot of interesting parallels, but also some interesting differences. Um, but yeah, one thing that's common between both of them is because of what they were doing to Sarah, God was bringing a curse on their house. Absolutely. I think... No, that, that's, that's, that is absolutely, I think, what that's talking about. Those who curse you, I will curse. Yeah. Did you have a question? Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, well, I think it's because of God's promise to Abraham. Because God was in Abraham's corner. And he, he, was, he was with him. Um, and that's why I think it's, it's all the more important to know that um, God does honor his people. And he does come against those who oppose his people. Uh, even if they're deceived into doing so. Um, I can't, you know, that is one of those things that's a little bit of a head-scratcher to us. One of those ways of God that, you know, we have to deal with because it's there. Uh, but God had his, had his reasons. Yeah. Uh, but it was also, you know, those, those plagues were a way for God to show Pharaoh that Pharaoh was not all he thought he was, right? That there was someone above Pharaoh. And especially in Exodus, that becomes what the plagues represent. Hey, do you think you have the power of the sun? Well, I made the sun. And I can make the sun go dark. Yeah. On that Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because that's that's one thing all through the Old Testament that you see is God's judgment on a on a pagan king or a, a worldly king is not is to show that God is God. That the Lord is God, that Yahweh is God. And that's one of the things that, that Abraham's life was to be a, a testimony to, that the God of Abraham is the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. All righty. Well, keep reading. And uh, I, think, I think we're laying some good foundations. Um, it's, it's so great going through the story uh, sort of all in, in, in large chunks because each story has its own intricacies, but the whole thing together really helps you read it. Like when you, when you read all of Abraham's story, the parts about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah make a lot more sense. Lot had chosen that. You know, Lot had decided that he wanted to live in cities. 
and it had already proven a bad thing for him. And now here it is again. He's getting entangled in the, in the judgment of the wicked people in that city. <laughs> he needs to be saved from that. Uh, all because he chose it for himself and thought it looked good. Yeah, I mean, you can just see so many, so many principles there. Okay, let's pray. And then uh, we can uh, head on. Father, thank you um, for your word. And uh, the firm foundation that we have, as the, as the hymn says, uh, that is laid for us in your excellent word. And I pray that you would uh, teach us uh, the true nature of a relationship with you as we walk through the life of Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob, our forefathers in the faith, God. And uh, that we would really see what you are after in mankind uh, through their lives and see how you deal with them. And, uh, and as a result, Lord, recognize some of the ways that you deal with us and the ways that you cause us to come to maturity and, and uh, correct us, Lord, and, and redirect us and help us to, to unlearn some of the bad things that we've learned from the world and the ways that we've inherited uh, from our worldliness. Um, so, Lord, continue to, to open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. Uh, Go with us this week. Protect us. uh, Keep us from evil. Deliver us from every temptation, Lord. Uh, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.